Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, June 7th. Jay Callum, Hollywood, coming at you with a big news show. I'm going full radio, and I don't know why. Hey, big everybody. Yeah, welcome to the show. Hey, said it before. We'll say it again. Media is a terrible you. business. Coming at you. <laughs> uh, BuzzFeed is tanking. Their stock is absolutely getting decimated. Their market cap is worth less than their revenue. What? We're going to talk about what this means for the employees, the future of the company, uh, and the stock market writ large. Yeah, and my new, uh, my new motto, math is a harsh mistress. No Ooh, more... Geez. By the way, bitching about dongles, we hope. The EU ah. is mandating at long last that USB-C ports be standard by 2024. Death to lightning. R- pl- praise go. Jesus. I, I don't like the government intervention, but in this case, I'm going to go with it for uh, the, the good of the environment. And we've got a startup of the day in the sports space and a We Live in the Future segment for an ear transplant. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by OpenPhone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com twist to get 20% off your first six months. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Thorn. Thorn empowers people to take control of their long-term well-being with a proactive science-based approach to health. Through a variety of at-home tests, Thorn teaches you about what your body needs and provides the right, high-quality, certified nutritional supplements for you. To get started and take 10% off your first order, head to thorn.com slash you slash twist. BuzzFeed, ouch, is the really short headline here. BuzzFeed shares dropped as much as 41% this week. Uh, Yesterday, I believe on Monday, marking their worst one-day percentage drop in trading history, of course, BuzzFeed uh, went public via SPAC mm. in December 2021. The stock since then is down more than 72%. It's now Ouch. trading at around $300 million. And the, mm. if you're watching live, you can see this chart of the stock drop. And it is yeah. just, we've seen a lot of cliffs. I know this isn't as bad as like the snap cliff, for example, but it was a over 33% drop. In the last yeah, and this is because the lockup was ended. So mm-hmm. when you go public, employees, venture capitalists, typically private market investors will be locked up for six months, typically. And when the lockup comes up, you know, people may want some liquidity. Uh, but those people, if they have faith in the company, and they are in fact insiders, and they've probably been investors or employees of the company for a long time, basically, I'm not gonna say they're trading on inside information, Molly, but they're informed participants in this company in other words they might have invested 10 years ago and or been on the board for a long time have received investor updates or they may have been in the building and worked there for a long time so for them to sell in such a major way and for there to be no buyers is the problem now if there were buyers who wanted the stock you know great then it might drop 10 percent, 20 percent. we saw that when masa was clearing his position at uber well you'll see it when venture capitalists start clearing their position in any ipo if, if they choose to do so um, but usually, uh, you know, the insiders will stick with it. Maybe they'll sell a little bit, but they generally don't like to sell on the day the lockup expires. So mm-hmm. this is very telling. It is a vote of no confidence, yeah. in fact, by the insiders. And you really need to think about that. The company is now trading at around a $300 million market cap. Um, and that is, uh, really less crazy. Than- yeah, like only slightly less than the total 2021 revenue, which was 397 million. But that's such a good point about the lockup and how it represents people who work yeah. there, were issued early stock, and are like, yeah. we're out. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal quote, a BuzzFeed spokesman attributed the volatility to the lockup period, which he said expired on June 1st. He said the company had very low float and a few uh, owners of its stock making it sensitive to extreme fluctuations. When major investor sell so a float so people know is the number of shares available to trade freely so uh you'll typically have the insiders own a bunch of these shares and you have a small number of people in the public who own it and so with a smaller float you could have more volatility 
Now, to be fair, it seems like even at the time, I think, even when they did the SPAC, Mm. investors had pretty low confidence. According to the Wall Street Journal's coverage back then, it said 895th Avenue Partners Inc. SPAC's announcement. Following that announcement, about 94% of the $287.5 million the SPAC raised was withdrawn by investors. So as soon as it went public, they cashed out. Is my understanding um, yeah, of that. Or I think the way technically the SPACs work is they make an acquisition and then there is a redemption possibility. So if you don't agree with it, you bought it 10, you have the ability to get out of it. So I think that might be that the investors, you know, when they found out what 895th Avenue Partners was going to buy, said, oh, yeah, that's not for me. Right. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, uh, I see. So they pulled out of the actual vehicle, the they special out of the, the, actual the, vehicle, the acquisition right. company. Gotcha. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. So that's so, again, of yeah. another vote of no so confidence. Every time, I mean, and this look, this sucks. We're sitting here, you know, ha- veterans yeah. of the media industry. It yeah. is hard to to have to face this over and over and over. But media is not a great it's a business. Tough business. It's a really tough business. Ad based media specifically mm-hmm. also challenged. Um, you know, they, they work great as small, independent owned businesses. They thrive. They can have solid, you know, not ridiculous margins like software, but OK, margins. Mm-hmm. And so they're not really meant to be traded as public companies unless they hit a massive scale like a Disney uh, or even the New York Times has done OK. It's still a tiny company, um, but really subscriptions uh, are maybe more in favor by the public markets. And obviously, nobody is going to subscribe to a bunch of listicles, <laughs> what yep. BuzzFeed's knows for, known for, right? So I mean, they started doing really good journalism, to be fair. They oh, really did start yeah. breaking, you know, and, and they, I think, had to because they were they built a lot of growth on the listicles and then yeah. they really did build a quality journalism product. But unfortunately, that, that is true. it's very likely that the quality journalism product didn't sell as well as the listicles in terms of clicks, right? Like, it's a tough, yeah. the digital, I mean, what's interesting about the New York Times is that by far the fattest margins and the most money they make is on the print subscription still. Yeah. Like, digital uh, media is particularly difficult. Yeah, and just having a lot of subscriptions creates a base of users. So, um, you know, at least you have predictability. And the stock mm-hmm. market does like predictability, whereas advertising is not predictable. Going into a recession, owning an advertising business, well, what happens in a in a recession? Right. Everybody clenches a little bit. Maybe you spend a little less. Maybe you cut your advertising 10%, 20%. So I would say the percentage of advertising being cut will be similar to the percentage of layoffs. So when you see 10 20% layoffs, you probably see 10 20% as well cut from advertising budgets, it might be more extreme in a company that's broken. A- and some companies might increase their spend into a recession because advertising gets cheap, they get more value for dollar, uh, right. and their businesses are doing well. But if we do the back of the envelope, which we love to do here, uh, current market cap of 320 397.5 million revenue in 2021, not even 2022. Um, and if you look at their Q1 2022 earnings report, Molly, mm-hmm. uh, they only had 74 million in cash. Uh, now they don't lose that much money, but they're in a bit of a cash crunch, which might be why people are also um, concerned. They have 98 at that time. They had 98 million dollars in accounts receivable and 143 million in debt. So this business has debt on it. So the debt yeah. outweighs the cash and cash equivalents. So this is challenged um they had an operating loss of 35 million in q1 they lost 44 million so you start looking you put all this together molly the risk of ruin looms large here this is very similar to the peloton situation where you know maybe people think this company could actually not be able to thread the needle in a in a recession well and this is why you want to have cash in your bank account seriously and the losses are widening right Mm -hmm. like the the net loss was four times larger year over year Uh, than it had been in the same quarter the year before like that's it's a Mm -hmm. because it's a hemorrhage situation now so yeah oh my god could buzzfeed go i mean talk about a like cultural moment well we're you know we talked yesterday about um (laughs) the weird binance spac situation how it was gonna binance took a big stake in forbes and was going to take it public via spac and uh, probably because of these signs um that spac was scrapped like they Mm -hmm. just said no way and it was sort of a combination of I think the SPAC environment itself, but also just these hard realities about about media and advertising. Yeah, I mean, or BuzzFeed like Fortune could take a quick uh, investment from FTX, Binance, <laughs> uh, and they could just <laughs> buy part of it, and then they could write great crypto stories. Um, 
you know, you, you had Vice Media valued yeah. at 5.7 billion. I think BuzzFeed's top valuation was 1.7 billion. Vox Media has been over a billion. Uh, so I think what we're going to see with all of these uh, companies is, you know, maybe they're worth one times top line revenue, two times top line revenue, 10 times bottom line. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have, you know, three, four, 500 million in revenue, you're worth three, four, 500 million. Now, if you had 100 million in profits, Molly, well, then you might be 100 million times 10. You might actually be worth a billion. So for BuzzFeed to be worth a billion dollars again, I think they have to have at least 100 million in profits. How do you get 100 million in profits? They've got to cut a third of their costs or something crazy like that. I mean, they're losing money now. So, you know, they not only do they have to cut the 50 million they're losing a quarter or whatever it is, they've got to cut another 100 million on top of that. Yeah. So they got to cut 150 million in expense. And they need to get uh, people quarter. pay for something probably. I mean, you look at you look at the information yeah. and Axios, which has like a very expensive, you know, subscription tier for newsletters. Yeah, it's uh, the companies, I think the media companies that have figured out how to make other companies pay expensive <clears throat> subscriptions yeah. as part of work are the ones who I think are going to be able to pull through this downturn. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. They put it on their company documents, they use it on sales calls, email footers, it's all over the place. What happens if that salesperson leaves the company? And now people are calling and that person's gone on. Maybe they went to a competitor and now they're using their personal phone number to get sales from previous emails that they sent under your email address. But you will clean up all this mess with open phone. They help you create a business phone number for you and every member of your team. And it works through an app on your smartphone or desktop. You pick a number, you install the app, bada bing, you're done. That's it. No need to carry two phones like back in the day. And by the way, we can tell you open phone is amazing because our sales team uses it every day. I kid you not, we use it every day. That's why we're such fans of this. Open phone is already super affordable. A starting price of just $10 a month. Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for your first six months by signing up at openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service, no problem. Open phone will port them over for free. So head over to openphone.com slash twist. And listen, we get credit for you using the service. You're going to love it. And you're going to save 20%. Okay, great deal for everybody. I've come to some conclusions about the media space. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. in my career, because mm -hmm. we both spent our careers there. Um, it's not a venture inv investment. It's, yeah, it's not venture investable. Yeah. Um, but content is king. And content is super important. So the place I've come to, and you might see it in my behavior is media plus something. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. there's two businesses I am CEO of right now inside and launch. And if you look at both of them, it's media plus something Molly. Yeah. In launch's case, what is it media plus what plus investing? Okay, very good. Correct answer. <laughs> so the Phew. media business I was like, Oh, crap, what's happening? <laughs> the media business helps the investment business and the investment business, of course, informs what we make here every day, because you and I work with a team of 21 people looking at startups. So you and I become super smart about this. Look at your first six months, we were talking with Brad Gerstner, uh, bestie number five, and he was just over the moon at watching how much you're learning. And so we share that with the audience. Now we look at inside.com. Inside.com has uh, over 4 million in revenue, and we've been profitable, I think, six or seven of the last eight quarters. We've got a, over $2 million in cash. Business is doing great. Email newsletters and events making money. But it is now a media business plus something. What's the plus something that I added in the last couple of months? A social network. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here we go, folks. If you, this is what, this is just Jake Al's observation. Yeah. Media businesses are great. People love media. People love content. It's super engaging. It's top of the funnel. But you need something else. And you need something that scales. So inside.com now has profiles. It's got a social network and it's got a social news product. And next week, we're going to drop the jobs. So you will be able to on inside, go to inside.com slash crypto slash jobs and post a job for free, or browse jobs. And we added questions. So now you can post, you can add friends like a social network, you can post questions, you can post a news story, you can comment on a news story, and you'll be able to post jobs. So you start looking at that, it starts looking like Reddit, and uh, LinkedIn, right. And yeah. so that was my intent, because Reddit 
started doing content. They started professionalizing their AMA department and LinkedIn has tried a couple of times to do more content. So my thinking is, if you're great at content, we'll build some other business and attach a high scale business to it. And for BuzzFeed, what would be a great high scale business, Molly, if we were to think out loud here, what could you add to BuzzFeed with this very popular audience of media savvy coastal elites, perhaps young people who like listicles, maybe it's very millennial driven. What could you add to that? I mean, they should start a creator business. Okay, like. great. W right? What a great idea. I didn't think that. of that one. Yeah, sure. You could have you podcasters. Gonna I was going to say, I know this sounds silly. Um, but there are casual games that are the equivalent of the New York Times crossword mm -hmm. puzzle mm -hmm. that if you added them to BuzzFeed, and I went to BuzzFeed and I was into cats, and there was a casual game about cats, or a strategy game or wordle type game or pictionary type game. Remember, there was another viral game. So if they had some sort of a casual game studios, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that could scale. So yeah. all these people come there, and then they get into playing casual games with each other. Just top of funnel, you know, whatever, what if 50 million people go to BuzzFeed, 100 million people go to BuzzFeed, and then yeah. flow them into casual gaming, maybe, um, or games of skill, right, like poker, or Farmville type things, you know, you start thinking about those games, Zynga poker, imagine you had Zynga poker like games, under the farm under the content. So I came there, 20 great pictures of cats, or I read, this, you know, some coverage of, you know, Tom Cruise, and then it fed into Oh, here's a totally. cool game I can play or I can play solitaire or I can play poker with my friends. And you know, I'm looking to because people are looking to waste time, right? right? BuzzFeed's a time waster, like a little guilty pleasure, if you will, a little maybe I don't want to say junk occasional food, legitimate news. <laughs> it's well, I, you know, it's hard to, yes, to right, for me like and my brain to I remember that, that. I know they won a Pulitzer, up. right? I, I think they won a Pulitzer. Like, it's yeah, such I think a they weird, won a Pulitzer. Really Sorry to the people over there who won a Pulitzer. I but still no, I have. Mean, it's, it's hard really, to separate those two things. It's yeah. really true that like news is either a premium subscription, yes, like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Information, yep, the Economist, or it's a loss leader for the thing that actually makes you money. Like Correct. this was my Boom. experience at CNET over and over yeah. and over. It's got a good, you know, pretty good news department. I I built the video department. We built podcasting. All of those were secondary to the primary goal, which is get people to come and buy technology and get right. leads. Like yes. there's, and there's a, there's a huge, and it doesn't matter to CNET if nobody knows who they are, because they make a crap ton of money on people coming to their site and buying products and it generates Eventually leads. they get like, some affiliate revenue because you bought a laptop or yeah. you put in your contact information to go to a webinar by some storage company because you're part of some big company and there's some enterprise storage solution from EMC or Amazon totally. that you bought into. So yes. Now I think they could be break-even businesses. So if you look. Here's yes. the good news for BuzzFeed. Uh, you make 20% cuts, you're at break even or 5%, it might be 20%. Maybe you do some salary reductions, right? That's what I've always said will be the next shoe to drop, Molly. When we start seeing salaries being re renegotiated, yeah. and BuzzFeed seems like a perfect example of that, they just go to the you know, staff and say, listen, for this business to be worth anything and for your shares to be worth anything, we're going to be cutting executives 10% and everybody else 5% or top executives 15%, the next tier 10%, and then everybody else 5%. That gets us there, we don't have to do layoffs. So you have that conversation, or you just cut 15% and don't make uh, any salary cuts. Yeah. So you can do that either way. Um, people have different philosophies of that. But that'll be probably the next shoe to drop at a place like BuzzFeed. And then you say, listen, we're going to break even on this business, but we're building a podcast business underneath it. We're building a creator one where we're going to you know, have a social network built into BuzzFeed where people can share recipes and photos of themselves, whatever it is, something that's where we can get a crap ton of money from brands to promote those that like you go straight, you know, yeah. you don't try to sugarcoat that as news, like it's a creator mm -hmm. studio where you're getting paid by brands. They had that already. They had they were the one of the they first to do con. Yeah, yeah, they were the first to do that quite controversially, because mm -hmm. you couldn't tell what was sponsored content there. And they were pretty cutthroat about it, right? Yeah. Um, so they're in the perfect position Just turn on that turn on the merch funnel. <laughs> but they could do a merch funnel. Yeah, that's I mean, Barstool Sports. Actually, here's another perfect example. Barstool Sports made a little bit in advertising a lot in merch, yep. some in podcasting, but ultimately, they got bought by a gambling company, a oh, wagering right. company yeah. that uses them to get Barstool people will buy will will gamble on sports. So they're a funnel. Yeah. Uh, so perfect. Just like fortune is now a funnel for crypto. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> I don't think it is. 100%. That was a joke. Well, but, you, you know, know, it's been interesting. I sold Barstool to Penn National Gaming. Sorry, Penn National Gaming. That's right. Well, and like in things that I have been a little bit bitchy about, <laughs> if I'm being honest, 
You know, there's uh-huh. been this kind of ongoing thing of um, Justin and Ben Smith, the two uh, Smith guys, oh, Justin yeah, yeah. Smith of Bloomberg and Ben Smith, who was at the New York Times. And they've been sort of going around trying to like raise money for this yeah. uh, media company that was like yes. super vague. And every time somebody interviewed them about it, it was like they bolted on another thing like, oh, we're for foreign readers and English language and this and that. And, da, 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 da. and yeah. they've been trying to raise what sounds like venture investment. I think They're probably not- investment overall. But even just venture investment, and you have to wonder if, like, there was enough of a bubble that even media seemed like a good investment. And I have to wonder if those those days are over now. I'm like, those days are over. I'm um, all in on the public radio model, man. Like, listener supported journalism is a great model. We also known as subscriptions. <laughs> like, they're right. They're True. donations yeah, and <laughs> subscriptions are donations, and, and even those. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all the public radio folks went to a monthly subscription, a monthly donation, which could be called yeah, yeah, a monthly subscription. Push, no, like, which would you like a subscription? Totally. Yeah, so it's uh, here's the thing. Venture capital is for high growth rocket ship businesses. Mm-hmm. These are not rocket ship businesses. These are slower growth businesses. Their trees do not grow to the moon. They're not going to have software margins, nor are they going to be, you know, 10 billion dollar companies and if you're in venture you're trying to hit that 10 billion dollar mark one billion if a couple of them hit a billion that's nice but it's not going to return your fund in all likelihood as an investor and these large funds need to be able to return their fund Mm -hmm. and they're just not going to do that so people made some frisky bets uh, on some of these things and um you know they they got a little too loose you know buzzfeed vice vox they could all be great businesses with solid margins, but not for venture capitalists, for private Mm. equity folks, for people with a different return profile, Molly, people who want to return two times their money, three times their money, you know, not, you know, a 100 times their money. So let's keep moving. uh, And to the folks over at BuzzFeed, you know, hopefully my tip helps. Think about a business like, you know, the people who are buying ads on your site, just if they're buying a lot of ads on your site, maybe you should be in that business as well. So who was buying barstool ads? Wagering companies. Maybe there's somebody making merchandise, you know, like Amazon basics type stuff, maybe direct to consumer, maybe there's a BuzzFeed brand to be made, maybe you make BuzzFeed, you know, yeah. uh, cool design products, and that's your business and the content flows people to that high margin business. It's a great uh, idea. It's a great idea. Know, maybe it's I mean, they, okay have a, idea. they have a very trendy, like popular media and video business, just merch it up, merch it up. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, we got some exciting news for you right now. We're going to give one twist listener $1,000 in Squarespace credits. You ever go to a company's website and it looks absolutely gorgeous? Well, we want to show off your best web designs. And it can be anything, a landing page, a feature flow, a design aesthetic, anything that would wow your users. So use your creativity here. The possibilities for submissions are endless and you can apply. It's super simple. You head to showusyourspace.com, which will redirect you to a tweet from me at Jason. Then you reply to the tweet with a short video, image, link, GIF, anything that shows off your space. Then my team and I will feature the best submissions on This Week in Startups. So we're going to plug your startup, your landing page, your video, whatever it is. And I'm going to pick one of these winners to give them a $1,000 Squarespace gift card. Today, we're going to highlight a submission by Twitter user Jonah Salita, and it's called Dial with two L's. It's a mental health app focused on Gen Z. You can check out the product at dialapp.com with two L's. The site looks great because you guessed it, it's built on Squarespace. Come on. We knew it was built on Squarespace. That's why it's so beautiful. And don't forget, you get 10% off at squarespace.com slash twist by using the promo code twist. Um, I love this Uber story. Let's talk about, yeah, our less risky bets in some ways. Uber taking a play from Apple, seeing what works, and then doing that. Yes. Uh, Uber Eats is coming for Goldbelly, apparently. TechCrunch has the announcement. Goldbelly CEO Joe Ariel was on episode 1283. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Goldbelly. Um, and Uber CEO, uh, Dara Khajra Shahi was on episode 1226. Well, here we go. Uh, Uber is becoming a super app. Obviously I have a horse in this race. I'm still a large mm-hmm. shareholder. Uh, and, uh, they are doing nationwide shipping on Uber Eats. So if you're on Uber Eats and you're ordering tonight's meal, what if you want the Peking duck or you want Bloodsoe's barbecue or, you know, um, Sarge's Deli uh, or Waffles and Dinges in New York City. I, I don't know what that is. For my time, 
someone's favorite yeah exactly <laughs> anyway you could start doing these things where merchants will will do this uh, obviously a lot of brands have been doing this direct where they ship and and they make a nice living on this so if you're a magnolia bakery uh, they were on gold belly but you could also buy direct from them and i think i've bought direct from them so a lot of these iconic brands of food that people loved from their you know local neighborhood and then they moved somewhere or they heard about it uh or they experienced it on vacation let's say mm -hmm. you want to get great bagels sometimes i will order great bagels or i'll order a great pizza or I'll order the peking duck kit it comes to you with like dry ice molly and like far too much packaging oh yeah for it to be justifiable for every night but maybe only five or ten percent more packaging than your your normal doordash or uber eats so as a once in a while thing to celebrate some food you love from around the world it's a great idea and um, it's so gold belly really became like a sensation during yes. the pandemic in particular gold belly's yes. been around for a long time yeah. and has a really big catalog of local restaurants that you can order from and you know it's like a lot of the tourist favorites but not completely i did like a philly night for my boyfriend for one of his birthdays during the pandemic ah. because we couldn't really go anywhere and he went to penn and i got cheese stick like i looked up you know what's the actual cheese stick place that the locals like it was on gold belly i had them delivered like it sort of became this fun phenomenon yeah. and uh it's i think helped a lot of small businesses like it's a really big small business story and mm -hmm. it is also it's just uber eats coming for this like very popular business and it's kind of cool competition a friend of mine made the point that like old uber just would have bought them <laughs> yeah so now sure. we have like competition and we get to choose who does it yeah, better and i mean who, you know maybe gold belly's not for sale you know that's a possibility maybe they try you know yeah, um, they might have so yeah. that that that's often what happens and and sometimes one of the really um elite competitive tactics molly i've done it myself is to start a competitor if the competitor won't sell to you, I won't say which company that was, uh, what the circumstances were, but I advise somebody straight mafia, it's straight mafia <laughs> behavior, but it's like, listen, if you're not going to sell to us, we're going to start a business. In yeah. fact, Google started Google video famously because they couldn't buy YouTube uh, at some point. So they're like, okay, well, if we're not going to get that business, we need to be in the video business. So let's start Google video and Google video was like the most boring you know, utilitarian, you know, upload your video, share it with the world, it's going to come up on Google search. But you know, you look at that, it was like, that was a scary moment for YouTube. Wait a second. If Google puts a video tab, and I had written about it at the time, man, Google puts a video tab. That's game over because they have yeah. images and news. And people are like, they'll never make a video tab. Sure enough, six months later, they put the video tab. And I think maybe it was a year later, they owned YouTube. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, we're either you're selling or we're competing yeah and and i think that's like an honest way to do this so yeah. for gold belly maybe they want to sell to uber maybe they want to sell to doordash and this is uber's way of saying hey we're, we're going for this business one way or the other right and we DoorDash don't have to acquire customers by the way uber doesn't have to acquire customers we've yeah. already got the customers they already have the customers now yeah. they need the merchants yeah some of them might say right it's just i think it's a really it's just going to be interesting to watch i did not even know by the way speaking of like the power yeah. of branding. I know all about Gold Belly, and that's what we all use. DoorDash does this, evidently. Yes, rolled out a similar they feature. started it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like maybe just Katz's Deli right now. Yeah. Um, but they're working right. in that direction too. I mean, I, I'm all for this. Like, for one thing, I think it's great for businesses to be able to ship it. For it's like Shopify, businesses. but for yeah. the real world. They don't have to do any work. You know, it's like, and here's the thing on merchants many of these merchants may already be on uber eats think about it katz's deli is almost certainly on good uber point. eats good point. so they already have a relationship so you're just like hey check this box to ship outside of new york city boom like damn it may not be like you have to go like go belly's got to go door to door and convince the merchants to do this yeah this would be like airbnb saying suddenly would you like to rent your home for you know would you like to put a conference room in your home if you put a conference room in your home we'll have a business section imagine there was a conference room availability like uh there used to be a company that did breather i think was the name of it where they would do conference rooms so if you and i wanted to have like a this week in startups meeting every month we could have a couple people come we rent the place for the afternoon imagine airbnb said we're going to put a tab called office space you know you know business spaces man they could compete with WeWork, and then yep. All Just the like people that. who have things could say set up if imagine you could set up the apartment 
with a Murphy bed where it folds up. Is that the one, the Murphy bed that you fold yeah, up like that? Yeah. And you said, hey, if you're ordering this as an office, we're going to put a table out, a conference room, Wi-Fi is going to be on and you can, you know, we'll put eight desks around, um, eight chairs around a, a big desk. And that desk will be a folding desk. You know, we'll put a tablecloth on it. You're all set. So the Why person who's the host switches it from bedroom, studio apartment to collaborative office co-working space. Yep. Could be killer. Um, Why did they not do that? I don't understand. They will. Well, you know, everybody, you know, so it takes time. It's you got so a lot good. to focus on. Well, yeah, I mean, one thing at yeah. a time. But yeah, it, it just is really interesting how this has become a yeah. big thing to do. And I'm excited about it. I think it's great. It's probably more work for the businesses because they have to figure out the packaging and the dry ice and, you know, yeah. the packaging is all that. But it's a it's a super smart move by Uber for the reasons that you say they already have the economies of scale. Well, yeah. and Gold Belly has probably gone to all of these businesses already. And taught them how to do the dry ice and had webinars with them. Totally. <laughs> so yep. so you know, now they're just like, oh they literally God. can just take the gold belly cool, list. Thanks gold belly, RIP gold belly. And the Uber Eats list. <laughs> I mean, you take the gold belly and Uber Eats list, you know, when you cheated in school uh, on a multiple choice test mm -hmm. and the teacher holds the two things up to the light and looks through them and is like, okay, you guys got the wrong ones, correct? The right ones. You just hold <laughs> those up and you look for mm -hmm. what is, you know, maybe it's 70% of Uber Eats and Gold, maybe 70% of Gold Belly is already on Uber Eats and DoorDash. You just go after those 70 and then the last 30, you mm -hmm. know, that, that'll be your slow, uh, that's your roadmap for who to go after next. They've already been taught how to do dry ice shipping. They totally. already have some space set up in the kitchen or somewhere in the facility and UPS is already coming there to pick up the Gold Belly packages. So it's no sweat off their back uh, to do, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats. So. Yeah. I think this is the super the, the super app nature of Uber is going to be very compelling over time. Um, I wish Uber payments had worked. That would have been super cool if we could have sent each other money by Uber payments, you know, mm -hmm. or like they already have splitting checks. But I think gifting is a really, really powerful one for Uber. Um, as is like Vitter tickets, like I would love to see more of the experience things like last minute tickets, which is in Dara's wheelhouse, like imagine you're in New York and it's like, here are a hundred last minute tickets on a tab. And it's like, mm -hmm. here's the countdown clock. Boom. Buy some tickets to, you know, Broadway or a concert, uh, just last minute style uh, or hotel tonight style, last minute hotel rooms. Another brilliant feature. This is have. where I think it's really going to be interesting. The build or buy question or the build mm -hmm. or buy or aggregate, right? Because yeah. we talked yesterday about iMessage potentially becoming that super, super app. app. Yeah. And they won't have to build out yeah. a delivery network or you know they've just got apps in the app store and if they integrate them better and stop you know they're moving away from that kind of like really siloed model so if it's like i'm on the 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 front the screen the home screen of my phone and the what is it called the red what's the ticket thing red blah 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 mm. or hotel tonight or whatever they yeah. all have like a location enabled widget that's just yeah. like do you need a hotel tonight and then i can do it through yeah. iMessage and yeah it gets I, real, this is why i always fun. felt like you know, Google, Amazon, and Apple were the eventual buyers of Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash and Postmates. Mm -hmm. At some point, one of those companies would say, you know what, they get a little frisky, like Amazon's the obvious one. Um, yeah. But Google and Apple are the non obvious ones, but pretty sticky. Um, you know, these delivery apps are pretty darn sticky. They are. And so you don't even have to buy them. You just support them. You just be their best friend. Apple becomes Uber's best friend. Yeah, they just didn't. And all Apple of a sudden, iMessage is the super app. Yeah, I know. See, but with Dar in charge, I, you know, I, I could totally see Apple buying Uber. I know that sounds crazy, but I could see Apple or Google saying, "Why buy them?" Well, because then you would get a hundred percent of the margin from those businesses. And when you're buying a business and you're Google or Apple, the business mm -hmm. has to do tens of billions of dollars in revenue for it to move the needle. Yeah. Um, and that's why Whole Foods was bought by Amazon. It was like enough revenue to actually be meaningful, right? And, and that's really what happens with these acquisitions. You know, if, sometimes they're technical and for the talent like um, DeepMind, the AI company Google bought. Other yeah. times you're like, hey, YouTube could actually move the needle. And we've seen that happen, right? YouTube's revenue could actually move the needle. Android actually moved the needle uh for google so totally. it usually falls into one of those two camps did beats move the needle for apple i wonder that two billion dollar acquisition probably not but i think it got them a demographic maybe they didn't have access to like android had such a good footprint in urban markets you know mm -hmm. in cities and maybe with you and know, internationally 
and internationally. So mm-hmm. Beats became, you know, like a way to sort of get the urban market and younger market, which maybe they didn't have a good enough foothold yeah. in. So it gets Brand you into extension. the store, you buy the Beats by Dre, and then maybe you buy the iPhone because it works better with the Beats by Dre. I think that was their, that was the back channel I heard. Yeah. I know that dealing with your personal health and your wellness can be daunting, especially right now. And by right now, I mean something like the last three years. Well, that is why Thorne created a care system that's personalized, preventative, and holistic while still being backed by science. Being any kind of a high performer is incredibly difficult, even if you're just sitting all day long at a desk. Remember, sitting is the new smoking. Okay, this is all where Thorne can help. Thorne offers at-home tests that identify where you need the most care. They offer things like a gut test that analyzes your gut microbiome, a stress test that measures your stress hormone fluctuations. These tests help eliminate the guesswork for good health by providing personalized steps for how to eat, how to exercise, and even what supplements you should take. And then Thorne has a range of multivitamins and supplements that you can subscribe to. Because again, this is personalized health and wellness. You take a quiz, you get the answer that is built for you. Get started. Take 10% off your first order by heading to thorn.com slash you, the letter U, slash twist. That's thorn.com slash you slash twist to save 10%. Well, speaking of Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to talk about this one because this is your wheelhouse. This. this is, oof, you must be happy. <sighs> I'm so delighted about this. Yeah. I think we all should be. The EU is shutting down competition for dongles hallelujah the european parliament has ruled that the usb type c port will be standard for all eu mobile phones tablets and cameras by fall 2024 mm. it's going to be called the amended radio equipment directive because oh, the good. eu radio. loves to give things really fun names sure telegram <laughs> telegraph but they're focused on the interoperability of charging solutions it's been coming for a long time apparently there was a proposal for it that was tabled back in september of 2021 and now, uh, for sustainability reasons, they're saying, well, not completely, they're saying the law is intended to make products in the EU more sustainable, minimize electronic waste, and, quote, make consumers' lives easier. Okay. We, this is what we all want. This is um, what we all want. And you know this- what? Apple, you could have just done this, and now you're going to be stuck with a stupid rule that has USB-C. Even if you want to develop some better standard than USB-C, now you're going to be stuck with a rule about USB-C, and I don't care, and I don't feel sorry for you because my watch and my computer and my freaking phone all have three different chargers, and that is ridiculous. It's super ridiculous, and, you know, it's like, this really is a law specifically designed for Apple. The, The market made this a no-brainer for everybody else yeah why would i create my own standard well the reason to create your own standard is because you have a monopolistic uh channel and you don't allow interoperability and you can charge 40 50 60 70 bucks for cables or charging bricks and you can then deprecate and say accessory not supported for you know cables i buy with multi-head dongles like i was loving these you know, cables I was buying from Taiwan on Amazon from third party sellers that had all three. Yeah. And you could have a USB C, a, a USB two and a, a an lightning. iPhone lightning. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the lightning stops working. And you know, it worked last week. Why isn't it working this week? And, and you know, this part of me literally broke it. They broke their own standard so that they could sell their own stuff. This is an example of the free market did its job. And then one company, Apple, mm-hmm held out the free market did its job you yep. can't buy an android phone that doesn't use USB-C. you can't buy a laptop that doesn't use USB-C. you you can't buy anchor products or any pa- brick that doesn't use USB-C because you can sell a USB-C product now without a charger and you just say charger not included that's on you and people are like yeah that's fine why would i need another USB-C cable i don't need one i've got 20 in a drawer but lightning cables yeah so congratulations but here's to why apple yeah Let's do, we should do a little back of the envelope math here okay. to explain of course. Why, why Apple has held out this whole time and why mm-hmm. they keep breaking those cheap yep. uh, a- Amazon cables. So since Apple stopped including accessories, they've sold roughly 200 million iPhones. Okay. The lightning cables, headphones, and the charging connectors all retail for at least $19 each. There's, and that's their buy, discounted like, prices now. They used to be much more. They used to be much more. And you can buy the like, you know, faster charging ones that are more. 
Um, Apple's gross margin on those is roughly 38%. Ridiculous. So if you have 60 bucks in accessories, which you need if you have more than one Apple device, times a 60% materials cost times 200 million iPhones, then Apple has made $7.2 billion. Incredible. Yeah. It's just pure profit. Just Um, pure profit. And these cables, you know, you're talking about billions of cables around the world that nobody trash and so you know apple tim cook with this constant green you know i don't want to say greenwashing because i do think they are probably one of the best companies when it comes to being green like you can't be green and then have a billion extra cables produced you know like just do the right thing independent of all of the earlier cables like break them which ensures that they Mm -hmm. are trash they are landfill whatever apple has done on the green side like i don't care that they're recycling cobalt the fact that they deprecate their own hardware and the cables that quickly makes it indefensible. Uh, I just feel so bad for who, whoever the VP of dongles at Apple is and they're <laughs> going to be they lose their job. I feel uh, bad for them. Oh uh, my God, these memes are going to be crazy. Oh my God, Nick, uh, did you make these? These are amazing. EU mandates all mobile phones, tablets, and cameras to use USB-C. Apple's chief dongle complexity officer. <laughs> well, well, laid off. Looking for a job. Apple, when they can, they can't make car- make you carry seven different cables anymore. Yeah. In the EU. In the EU. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely it's beautiful. beautiful. We love, I love it. to see okay, it. Okay, quick hit. Uh, enough big talk from Big Tech today. Here's our startup of the day. Uh, Religion of Sports. This is a sports media production company co-founded by Tom Brady and Michael Strahan and filmmaker and entrepreneur gotham chopra they've raised 50 million dollars in series b funding for religion of sports Uh, it was founded in 2017 uh, and it started with unscripted documentary style programming and has since launched dozens of shows with other elite athletes Um, titles have been distributed on streaming platforms facebook espn apple tv plus and along with creating unscripted uh they're also looking to build outside projects with the funding. Uh, one's going to be NFTs for athletes. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> and uh, trading cards have had a comeback. So maybe they'll do something there. According to Axios, religion of sports CRO, Amith Senkaran uh, commented on how star-backed production companies are great for streaming services. Quote, the market has grown and that has led in a, to an opportunity for networks to invest in niche programming when you're doing something with an athlete or talent people already know you don't have to set the back story they come with built-in distribution i mean you see this with draymond's right. podcast um uh, which he's doing uh with this is kind um, of, oh, colin uh, i guess is doing that with him um oh. and yeah you, you know you bring your whole twitter following so this is going to be a major thing and it's and a hot space apparently space. there's several of them already there's spring hill entertainment founded by yeah. lebron james and uh, maverick yep. carter entertainment production company yep. there is um 35 ventures founded by kevin durant and rich Kleiman. yep uh unanimous media founded by steph curry and eric payton i mean and this is an interesting follow-on to the media conversation we were just having right yes. like can so this works when times mm-hmm. are hot does this does star power work because i feel like i don't know have you've gone through this but like I've gone through many a podcast project mm-hmm. where the idea was, well, we'll just book a bunch of big name stars and then everybody yeah. will listen to it. And that doesn't actually, it doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't translate to lasting audience. So I'm super curious yeah. to know if this actually will. So, you know, I think the, the, the interesting thing that's happening here is I think we are having people who are stars in the league do this while they're um, active. So Draymond has been doing this after playoff games. And um, I just heard on the last Bill Simmons show after the Warriors just absolutely annihilated the Celtics. Sorry, Bill. Um, He had actually a talk about this. And he says he sees it as just like an extended press conference, which Mm -hmm. I get. It's like a press conference where you ask yourself the questions. Uh, But he made up a good point, which is, you know, at some point, these narratives that are being done by players while the season is happening um not like postseason not highly produced and edited but live and live to tape kind of stuff you know it could become part of the storyline uh which could be super interesting in other words draymond says something in the in the post game show that now impacts the next game or impacts the series now the coach has to deal with it Hmm. you know and and i guess at some point somebody was live streaming from the locker room i don't remember which sport or tv team that was but bill mentioned it on his show 
So this is going to have an impact on it. Uh, but people have the ability to broadcast from their phones. Now, there are some athletes who are incredibly charismatic, like Draymond. Um, and instead of or JJ Reddick's doing really well right now. But typically, it's after they leave the league. So what the real story here is, right. is that people are going to do this while they're in the league, they're gonna be doing media stuff while they're playing in games which is which super is, fascinating it is because it creates a living documentary right a real-time documentary of these teams and also of course they're doing it while they're still playing because there's so much more relevant like it, it you yeah. know it's it's sort of interesting to listen to a retired yeah. player if that retired player is like michael jordan but mm -hmm. if not it's not as interesting so they're capitalizing on the actual moment of fame yeah. creating drama around the sport they're already doing which creates a lot of interest um, and they're also getting, you know, maybe securing the bag yeah. while they're at the height of their fame. It's fascinating. And, and look, you know, the, people like Charles Barkley, my understanding is he makes like 10, 20 million dollars a year doing uh, inside the NBA and the stuff that comes from it. He's making, I think the most he made, um, I actually talked to Draymond about this, was seven or eight million, I think, when he was a player. So now after being, you know, a, a top, you know, 50 player in the league, he makes more money now retired, you know, yeah. just doing uh, inside the NBA. And, and as he should, he's, he's an incredible talent and draws Great. a big audience. A lot of these projects have been vanity projects, where you're doing, you know, or pet projects, you're, you're doing media that you want to see in the world, which is what rich people have always done. They've backed movies they want to see or series or magazines, depending yeah. on the era. And so a lot of this with LeBron like James, the Medici's, their patrons. They're like patrons, they're doing media, Steph Curry has one, he's doing like, you know, and they produce scripts. So it's stuff they want to see in the world, if it makes money, if it breaks even. It's, you know, uh, affluent people, you know, making media because they get enjoyment out of it, which is also totally valid. I think what will happen is, I'm going to go out on a limb here is I think, you know, one or two of these athletes is going to are going to become so good at it that they could in fact make what would be considered like the next at the, the athletic or the next ESPN or the next bar school stool. So I do right. think this is the future of media. I think someone like a Draymond Green, who understands how to do it firsthand. I mean, he's solo doloing these um, podcasts he's doing, which is an incredible skill. And they're really good. Like I look forward to watching his and as much as I look forward to watching Bill Simmons after a playoff game. So I, I consider those like two different complementary media types for me mm -hmm. as, a, as a sports fan. And I could see Draymond then building enough audience in the way Charles Barkley has. Now, Charles Barkley probably has no interest in competing with inside the NBA or creating his own version, Molly. But I could see someone like Draymond doing that. I could yeah, see him making the next big media company. Um, so then the he could fund it to, himself, you know? Right. So then back to our earlier conversation, though, yeah. about investability. Yeah. This uh, religion of sports has raised $50 million in Series B funding. Yeah, no. Right, not a good investment. I mean, like they're not in. They're not in. They're private equity. I think. I think no matter yes. what, even with star power attached, like I yeah. don't think you're getting all that money back. Time. Well, 10, you make. You know. You, listen, if if you get two or three, two or three times your money, and you get to be in business with a bunch of athletes, and it's a bunch of sure, you know, maybe rich fine, people yeah. who are funding it, who are capital allocators, who have an affinity for the person. A lot of media creation is because people have an affinity and want to see it in the world. Movies, yeah. books, magazines, and podcasts. So. That is valid. And then what's also valid is somebody could potentially build the next great media brand from this. And yep. that's what I'm looking at is there will be one or two that come out of this that actually build a large sustainable brand. I mean, actually, you start with Obama. They did that giant Netflix deal, right? And that was mm -hmm. what? Was that $50 million? They did a deal. And then they did it with Spotify as well. Yeah. And Obama is, and so I think these are, you know, actually uh, themes here. It's a theme. People who have huge followings post when they're playing whether it's mm -hmm. you know being the actual active president of the united states trump or obama then what do they do next how do they capitalize on that following mm -hmm. whether it's an athlete or a politician and now you see it with whatever the fakaka stupid trump platform what is it oh, called? yeah social truth Trump social trumpet <laughs> oh trumpet. man that's a good name <laughs> uh, i think that's what elon calls it trumpet so like Trumpet or, you know, <laughs> Obama did uh, a, a really nice podcast series I enjoyed with uh, Bruce Springsteen um, yeah. and the two of them talking, I found delightful. And so now Obama's, I think, doing that uh, particularly well. So it's all the same themes and most of them are going to be corny. Most of them are not going to make money. Most will fail. Mm -hmm. There'll be one or two mm -hmm. that could be the next big franchise, right? And I, I like could it. see it being Draymond. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there all right, right now. Okay. I like that. Place yeah. a bet, man. Place a bet.
Um, I would. I would for sure. Let's do. We live in the future. We, we love doing startups. We love doing. We live in the future. Yeah, really, especially because, especially when the future is just like you get a whole new ear. Yeah, let's assuming go. that you need one. Uh, yeah. A Texas woman has received a three D printed ear transplant, which a biotech startup made from a sample of her own cells. Okay. Yeah. We, we live, live in the live future in the for future. sure. <laughs> okay, explain. Who's doing this? So this company, 3D Biotherapeutics, uh, it's a biotech company in based in Queens, New York, raised $10 million. Yeah, shout out Queens. Since it, I know, right? Shout out Queens. Shout out Flushing. Uh, was founded in 2016, raised $10 million, which actually doesn't even seem like that much considering no. 3D printing um, ears. ears. So <laughs> also, I don't know what's always so funny about ears, but it's funny. It's funny. They're work. unique appendages yes they're, they're yeah. all weird looking and unique so this woman uh was suffering from a thing called microtia a deformity of the outer ear basically during okay. pregnancy uh, while she was in the womb the ear did not fully form so it leaves okay. behind this kind of smaller like not quite Got it. complete yeah. ear so uh 3d bio and dr arturo bonilla a pediatric ear reconstructive wow. surgeon in san antonio like they took half a gram of cartilage from her own underdeveloped ear i mean look at those <gasps> bananas uh, oh my lord, banana pants. They shipped the sample and a 3D scan of the healthy ear from San Antonio to 3D Bio's lab in New York City. Mm -hmm. They isolate the cartilage formation cells, yep. supplement them with nutrients, and mix okay. in a collagen-based bio ink, mm. load it into a 3D printer, yep. and in 10 minutes... Yeah, of course. This 3D printing is fast. They have a new ear. Love and then it. they ship it overnight to the surgeon who implanted it just under uh, her skin above her jawbone. Boom. Ear. Uh, the first of many. Uh, this will continue and mm -hmm. we will see more and more complex body parts printed. People have done the valves of hearts. Um, at some point, you ever see the fifth element when they're 3D printing, you know, based on just the hand yep. of... Uh, you know, the woman, I love uh, the fifth element. That movie is amazing. Fifth element's so great. Femke Jensen, I believe. Is that no, no, it's, um, um, no, the other um, Malala, blah, 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 blah. Yes, that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, the one who went on to do all the, um, zombie movies. The zombie movies. Yes. Um, she's awesome. Uh, one of our noties will tell us her name. Autowash. <laughs> Mila Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Damn Thank it. you. I was so close. No, no, I got it myself. I was about to you look. You did? I was like, I did. literally, okay. Only me too. because it's my favorite, like, top five sci fi film for me. Yes. Blade Runner. Prometheus, uh, Fifth Element. Yep. Excellent. What else do I love up in that? Kind of now Dune. I put the new Dune on that list. That movie I didn't was amazing. Watch it. <gasps> I watched the first 15 minutes. My wife said well, we have to watch it together and we have another time, but we're going up to Tahoe for the summer and we got the movie theater, so we're going to Dune it out. Watch it. Um, Don't do what anyways. I did, which was watch it on the plane. It's not a good yeah, no. airplane Folks, that's movie. A Turns out. Poor Villanueva. Is that watch the guy's name? Villanueva? Yeah. Well, he's he just Villeneuve. like he's a big fan of the show and he's crying right now he's damn yeah, he is. Villeneuve Villeneuve um wait yeah, didn't no, he also do be... Fifth Element did he did, did he Fifth no he Element. did Blade Runner 2049 anyway we're going off on a tangent here the we fact really is like that see this is where the producers could find the actual clip oh no of, of course that's Fifth one of my favorites that's Luc Besson Luc Besson yes mm -hmm. thank you but anyway they basically, in this chamber, here we go. Thank you very much. YouTube.com says this weekend to watch the show live, 10 to 12, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. most uh, days. Uh, and you see they're 3D printing with a bunch of goo going into mm -hmm. this thing. And they start with a little hand that they take from the wreckage and 3D print the rest of the body from the DNA. And it's just a wonderful thing to watch because they do the bones first and then they do the... It's, it's actually, they do it very poetically, if you remember. They, they the, All of the muscle fibers get stringed over the bone after it gets built. Um and I think this, this is what we live in the future is about. It 100% is. Don't you think this inspired the open of um, Westworld? Yes, of course. When I saw yeah. Westworld, I was like, they just stole this trailer from the fifth element. But this is like they pull, like they pull the, sh the, 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 um, the, the muscle fibers over the body, you know, like uh, they're like almost like they're weaving, you know, it's like it looks like a loom of some type. Uh, what a great uh, thing. Yeah. It's so great. But yeah, we're going to have oral organs. We're going to have body parts like it really we yeah. do live in the future and the future could be super cool. I mean, we start with the ears. They're doing valves in the hearts. Uh, we already have like, you know, they, they replace your hip. So each body part, you know, the brain is going to be, uh, you know, the last one. But, you know, other things they, they might be able to to do relatively quickly. Um, 
And they're already moving skin grafts back and forth, you know, because that's just easier. But I mean, the ability to 3D print your own skin sounds like a no brainer to me. So it really burn does. victims, you know, tragically, uh, or, you know, you, you lose some, you know, in some, you know, violent accident, you lose some skin, or you lose some muscle. Why can't we replace that? That seems yeah. like that's possible. Yeah. So I'm just thrilled for our kids that, you know, like, there's going to be like this whole level of stuff. And we got to experience you know, maybe cancer being manageable. I was talking to a cancer doctor this weekend. And, you know, the the, the mortality rates have just flipped, you know, like yeah. people are surviving breast cancer. And, you know, even some of the ones that, you know, were considered pretty, pretty gnarly brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, they're now starting to be able to manage those. Mm -hmm. So I think we're gonna go from management to maybe lifetime management of some of them. Absolutely. Those, and absolutely MRNA, fantastic. I mean, as you know, yeah. As as much as we've managed to like screw up the magic of the technology that created these coronavirus vaccines, we're yeah. very close to like a universal coronavirus vaccine because this mRNA technology is phenomenal and it could eventually be, you know, there are viruses that cause cancer. Like we really are on the, the verge HIV. of an incredible right. They're literally working toward a cure for HIV that could be here very soon. I mean, like it's it, we incredible. live on the precipice of a phenomenal yeah. biotech be revolution. optimistic folks i mean we're sitting here in a recession layoffs ukraine china taiwan china us there's so many things for you to have anxiety about I, the reason i i created the we live in the future segment and i'm I'm so obsessed with us doing it you know one two three times a week mm -hmm. is because when you watch this show i want people to be i want their i want people's optimism molly to match reality yeah. and i feel like right now our optimism is that like a 10 I'm mm -hmm. sorry, optimism is, a, is at a two and our reality is a 10. Yeah. And if I could get people to a six or seven in their optimism, I think we would all, you know, come to our daily lives with a little more enthusiasm. All right. It's been a great show and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. If you are a founder of a pre-series A company, you haven't raised that series A yet, which is really hard. Well, we wanted to invite you to Founder University. This is a two-day intensive course. It takes place on June 13th and 14th. It's remote. It's free. We limit the number of people who can come. We ask you to apply. And this virtual workshop is free for founders and helps you understand how to fundraise and pitch, how to hire great people, how to build a world-class product, how to execute on your sales and marketing, and some growth techniques as well. The launch team and I have been doing this for a long time. It has been amazing for us to get to know founders. And that's why we do it. Of course, we want to help folks as many as possible. That's part of our mandate. But really, our mandate at launch here at This Week in Startups and, you know, the syndicate, which is where we invest, we meet and invest in companies, is we want to back builders. And so we use these events as a way to get to know you. And if you're building something and we see you're credibly building something interesting in the world, well, then we want to invest in you. So truth be told, every time we do Founder University, a uh, half dozen of those people, we wind up funding in the next year or so. So it's a great way for us to spend time with entrepreneurs. Um, we're going to be joined by a lot of experts. Uh, my friend Becky DeGraw, uh, who's my attorney uh, from Wilson Cincini, uh, will be speaking at the event. Fitbot's co-founder, uh, Jesse, uh, will be speaking. Marlo CEO, Mary Fox, will be speaking. So we get a bunch of our portfolio companies who have been crushing it and who have learned a lot. And we've seen that they are qualified builders. We have them uh, come speak at the event. So you see how we do things here at uh, This Week in Startups and Launch and the Syndicate. We like to uh, create a flywheel. We invest in people who come out of Founder University. Some number of them really crush it and become world-class companies. And it's not guaranteed. You have to do the work, folks. The ones who do, then we have them speak at a later Founder University. So a lot of the great companies we've met came to a Founder University. They got to know us. They learned something. It was worth their time. And that's really what we do with the agenda. We try to make it worth your time to take two days off work, uh, essentially. Now, it's, it's remote, so you know you can consider it your weekend, even though it's taking place around the week. Um, you consider it professional development. And if you learn one or two important things about running a company, fundraising, growth, hiring, well, those one or two things will pay for those two days. I am absolutely certain of it. Now, you have to apply again, so you can register at founder.university. Yes, it's a great domain name. So go to founder.university and sign up. We also have a course called angel.university if you want to invest in the companies and you think the philosophy I've explained here about how I invest in companies and I've invested in over 300 of them. Um, if you think this is an interesting um, way to meet startups early, help them and invest in them, well, you can read my deal memos as we invest in new companies and you can join us on that adventure. 
And I do this through a course called Angel University that has raised close to $200,000 for charity. And you can sign up for Angel University at angel.university. We do it four times a year. Great program. Uh, and it's just me and my partner, Mike Savino, talking about uh, how we pick companies, how we evaluate them, how we diligence them, how we source them, like Founder University is a source of investment and deal flow for us. And uh, that three or four hour course, actually, I think it's more like four or five hours is well worth your time. All the proceeds from Angel University go to charity. And again, over 175,000, I think at this point, it's gone to charity. So I'm very proud of that work. And Founder University is free. But you do have to apply and we do pick people who have built a little bit of something. So we're looking for you to have some skin in the game. We have a Founder University 12 week program, which you can also see at founder.university. We'll be starting our third cohort shortly. And you can apply for that program if you have not started building or your very early stages haven't incorporated yet you're nowhere near the series a you're kind of in the solo or co-founder situation and you're just starting to build maybe maybe you've incorporated maybe you have it and that's a 12-week course and that's another great one that we do so please join us founder.university and if you want to invest in these great companies angel.university